Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, review for the final exam, part two. And I thank you for your forbearance for that Zoom session. The videos are available to you, of course. Uh, you probably have seen it in the announcements. Uh, there is not, there was not a separate audio, even though there was supposed to be, the one that was sent to me by Zoom was silent, had no sound. So there's not a podcast of this one, most unfortunately. However, the Zoom does have a transcript available with this, so it's, it's okay. I'll see if I can try to figure out a way to get an audio for the podcast of that lecture uh, over the next day or two. But uh, other than that, <clears throat> the agenda today, one last look at the numbers. Whoops, sorry about that. One last look at the numbers before we go into uh, the work for the day. Now what will happen is you'll have a look at the numbers and then I'm going to give you your last quiz, quiz eight. You have only five minutes for that quiz. So you have to move quickly to get it done. Once that's over with, uh, the uh, student evaluations of the course will open up for you, be available. I have to leave the room while you do that. That'll be, I'll give you 15 minutes to do the course evaluations. And then when that's over, we climb right back in and review for the final exam. Mother's work is never done here. So it's an ambitious day. And then, of course, you do have your final exam, uh, which for your class one last time here is uh, for Section 1, December the 11th, uh, from 12.10 to 2.10 p.m. And Section 2 is the next day. Now, on Monday, I will, well, I'm going to be here for my office hours tomorrow, obviously. And then on Friday, I'll be here for a few hours around, eh, well, it'll probably be about 10 o'clock I'll get here and I'll stay till maybe a little afternoon if you want to ask questions then. Now, Monday is the beginning of finals week, no official office hours, but on Monday, I will be in my office from about 9.30 to, until the, until the uh, time of the final exam you have. So you have a couple of last-minute chances to come in and make your uh, give some oh, last-minute questions. Oh, all of that's done. Now, moving along here, one last look at the numbers, just for old times' sake and for review for the final exam. Of course, we have a market that it. Well, no, let me do it the right way. Okay. As far as, is this a bull day or a bear day? <laughs> it's sort of a myth. Yeah, it's a bear, but it's a, a wuss of a bear. I mean, it's just a market just doesn't have any motivation to do much of anything right now. It's just sitting there looking kind of stupid. And so what are you supposed to say? Uh, it's in a holding pattern. It's uh, not really going anywhere of any note. 
Look at crude oil. Crude oil broke way. I mean, it smashed the floor of the 72 to 79 uh, trading band, and it's now below $70 a barrel. Good times. Cheaper gas prices someday or not, uh, depending on how responsive the prices are at the pump. But yeah, if it, it's just kind of really sliding. There's so much oil. Yeah, oil in the reserve tanks on the high seas and coming into the refineries and the product and also heading out to the gas stations. It's just the prices where even where they are can't sustain much longer before competitive forces will begin to push them down. So that's good news. Now that can change it very quickly based upon events in the Middle East. If uh, just as uh, without getting into the politics of it, the idea that we should bomb a country because it supports a bunch of idiots who are flying drones at ships. Uh, there are good reasons why we might not want to do that, like the price of oil going, uh, going up to $200 a barrel. So we have to play all of the different constituencies and the different things that are going to happen no matter what we do. Right now, we're holding good. We're, we're not causing any ripples that would scare the oil markets and all of that. So there, that, there's that for the time being. Now, gold is still above $2,000 an ounce. The gold bugs just are absolutely convinced that the end of the world is coming, apparently. So here we go. Ten-year bond. Yield is still sliding another five and a half basis points, and that means lower interest rates. And you'd think that would make the markets happy, but they're not. The bond yields are falling, which means bond prices are rising. So there's some buying into the bond, uh, into bonds right now, maybe moving a little money out of these lousy stocks that aren't doing anything and pushing it over into the bond market. But of course, as our yields go down, our interest rates go down, as you see here with the 10-year bond as a benchmark, that means that we will have some depreciation of the dollar against other currencies. Uh, so, you know, that, there's that. And then on the other side of the world, Nikkei was up a nice, strong 2%. And even the British... Uh, the, uh, in London, they were up, although they seem to have had a bear pull there towards the end. Uh, they're having a bear pull right now, right at the end of the day, but still they're up too. So we're kind of behind the curve. The rest of the world is really happy and we're just sitting there grumbling about whatever. So it's not, it's not a dramatic day. Now just pull one up, just one last time, just so you can see the calculations for stocks. Um, well, let's look at AMC, for lack of anything more interesting. Oh, well, that's interesting. Now, AMC doesn't pay a dividend. <coughs> so the only thing we will be calculating is the capital gain yield uh, for the uh, uh, for the one-year hold. And if we put that over here on the screen and we have a look at it, we see, okay, 
If we buy it today and sell it in one year, we'll sell it at $8.95, 8.95, divided by what we pay for today, $6.89. Now we have to subtract the one, we always have to do that, and then equals, and then multiply the result by 100 to turn it into a percent. Look at that. Well, okay. That's a 29 point, forecasting a 29.90% return. And that's capital gain. Now, if there were, were a dividend, I'd add the dividend yield to that. But even at that, look at that return. But look at the beta of the stock. It is 1.85. It is an extraordinarily risky stock. Greater the risk, the greater the expected return. Then there you go. And especially in this one, because the earnings per share, they're losing money. They're unprofitable. They're down $3 a share. And when it's negative, of course, you don't have a P.E. ratio. So we don't have that guidance about undervaluation or overvaluation. So here we are looking at, well, what do we do next here? Well, if you want to roll the dice, that's some pretty serious dice to roll. You're going to... You could lose, remember, there's no guarantee that's going to happen, 29.90%. In fact, you could get creamed on something as risky as AMC, but here's one that has apparently some uh, reasonable judgment among forecasters that it's going to have a lot of upside potential over the next year. Yes, on the final exam, I will give you a screen, just like I did on the midterm, same questions almost, pretty much the same ones, and you'll have to do it, do this. So you're gonna, uh, so you should be well prepared. A lot of, most of you, oh, the majority, overwhelming majority of you got it on the midterm, just don't lose your mojo for these questions on the final because there's some decent points. And it's something that you probably are pretty comfortable with doing by this point, considering how often we do it. But that is the markets for today. That's a little prep on markets for you. The next thing that you have on your agenda for today is the uh, quiz. And please, I would encourage you to open that quiz up and find out what it's all about. We're back and we're bad. Uh, we are going to have a uh, review here. and. It, to some extent, it's an extension of the review that I did on Monday via Zoom, but there will also be some other aspects of it as well, uh, just to fill in some blanks. And what I'm going to do first is I'm going to, this is, you're taking notes here. This is your study guide along with your notes. And I'm going to tell you some things I think you should know for the final exam. Now, it's just my opinion of what you should know, obviously, but it's worth it for you to follow along and hear what I have to say. Now, any kind of a review like this is not going to be everything, obviously, and I'll give you time to ask me some questions. But I'm going to tell you what I think you should know, and then I'm going to walk back again and open up some of the quizzes and just say, this is this worksheet. You use this worksheet to do this problem uh, and uh, point out 
which ones I am going to ask on it. Bear with me one moment here. Um, summer 2020. I could put the mid the final exam up here on the overhead so you could see it. Yeah, do that, fat boy. <laughs> okay, where the hell is this it? No. Well, where in the world? No, those aren't migrations. Those were actually past enrollments. Okay, I got it. There we go. Now, always uh, again, the the one important thing on these exams is I have three levels of questions. The level one, easy. Level two, moderate. Level three, difficult. Don't attack my exam in a linear fashion. Go through, clear out the ones you know the answer to. That's going to get you a decent passing score, certainly a C. And then you go back and comb through the ones that look a little bit more like you got to think about it for a minute or two. And then wait until you've gotten as many points as you can to hit the more difficult problems. And again, and I've said this before, open up all of your Excel worksheets before the final exam begins so that you're not panicking about what, where is it while the clock is running on you. And I'll try to be as specific as I can about what's going to be on the exam, uh, which ones. As a matter of fact, Right now, let me do something. Um, I'm going to go through this one more time with you. FIL 240. I want the student view files. Okay, so if you are in the student view in the way you see it, go your spreadsheets. Now, you don't need to use the enhanced version of the bond calculation, but the bond calculation will get you, if I ask for a price of a bond and a yield of a bond, that's where you do it. That sheet. Now, a lot of you got that answer right. Just keep that in mind for the final exam. He's asked for the price of a, he's described a bond, and now he's asking for the price of it and the yield on it. So that means that I use the bond calculation sheet. Just to make it, it's kind of obvious. Oh, it's a bond, bond calculation. So the bond calculation. Now the next thing you're going to want is loan payment. It's obvious. What is, the pay, what is going to be the payment on a house you buy? I'll describe a purchase of a house or a car or something like that. And that one all will also give you the effective interest rate. Because I'll ask you that. I'll ask you for the payment and the effective rate. The next one you'll need is the NPV and IRR spreadsheet. You can dead on identify that the, the problem is requiring that because I'll ask you for the net present value 
and I'll ask you for the internal rate of return. That's why I named them as I did. So, ah, he's saying NPV. He's asking for an IRR. That means I pull those up. Present and future values. You can tell that I'm going to ask that. You're going to receive $800 a month for 10 years. What's it worth to you today? Well, that's a, an NPV. I'm sorry, that's a present value. Or the other one. Starting today, you are going to put so many dollars into an account every year or whatever. That's a dead-on, that's a future value question. When you see those words starting today, you know you just punch the numbers into the template where it's the future value, where you're calculating an FV, the future value. Now, the risk and return, that's up to you. CAPM is easy. I'm going to ask you a simple question, just like I did on one of the quizzes. I gave you, you say, if you see me say the risk-free rate is, the expected return to the market portfolio is, if you see those keywords, I'm asking for a CAPM. Whack. It is the way you identify it. You'll see what is the weighted average cost of capital. That's your dead giveaway. That's that massive sheet. Matter of fact, let me pull it up here for you. Download that thing. I think that was quiz six or quiz seven. I can't remember. You're going to be you're going to fill in all of these numbers. Just pull the numbers out of the narrative. Get the words out of there. Now there's one I should point out to you that you see this number here? I noticed that you have to put it in twice. Be sure you put it in there twice. And make sure that if there's two two instances of a number in a white box, you make sure you get this, that number in both of them. That was the only thing that I saw that was a real trip up, was a few folks put in a number one place, but they forgot to put it in the other place. Take your time. As far as I can tell, this, your exam is 120 minutes. My policy is I've got to be able to do it in a lot less time than you. And it usually takes a student about two and a half times as long as it takes me. When I time myself for this, of course, I obviously know how these, the architecture of these sheets. It took me about three minutes. So it should take you a little more like seven minutes. Just walk through, stay frosty. Just go through, clock the numbers in, in fact, if you really were feeling uncomfortable, this is an old trick from a long time ago, and I probably shouldn't even mention it. When you fill a number in, put a little X in this box beside it. Got it. Got it. 
That way, you would be much more assured that you didn't leave anything out. Just it, it, This is back from the days before Excel. Back even in Lotus 1, 2, 3, we did this. Just to make sure you've got everything covered. Just a little X in each box. Once I've put that number in from the problem, I put a little X in the box beside it. That makes me know that I've got it. In a way, this is, I consider this to be the level three hardest question on the exam. If you follow the template, it isn't any level three. Just follow the template, put the numbers in. Trust the process. It'll get you the right answer if you put in the numbers. Okay? Uh, where was I? Oh, let me go back here. Going to get that off the screen here. Better mute that because the exam is right behind it. No, it's not. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun if I mute, if I X that out and there was the exam looking at you? I didn't figure out what, oh, this is the project analysis. Uh, let me make sure before I say anything else. Oh, that's that quiz seven question. So long as you put in the right numbers, it'll it'll look the the wording will be exactly the same as this one except the numbers will be different. In fact, I will make sure that it's a four-year project. So it'll be a four-year project. And if you put the numbers in correctly here, like on quiz seven, the answers will come out here correct. And again, I can't emphasize this enough that Make sure, once you key, put an answer in those answer boxes in Canvas, that it stays what you put in. That was a fiasco going back and fixing all those exams where they had a decimal place, a point that shouldn't have been there. We'll try to avoid having that disaster this time. This is quiz seven, project analysis. I have decided not to do a horizon value problem on you. Now that should bring joy to your heart. That's the one where you have to find the horizon value out there, year four, year five, and then take the present value of all the dividends before that. You will not have one of those on the final exam. Now, what I've shown you here, now there are obviously odds and ends, little calculations, like the one for holding period, total annual holding period return, things like that, little bits and pieces of arithmetic. But the major questions that are quantitative, that's it, right there. And you can go through the quizzes, they should be available. Check to make sure that you can get the right answers in Excel. If you can get them there for the quizzes, you can get them on the exam. Go. For quiz six, we can only see the question. 
I don't know what's going on with that. I've had a couple of people asking me. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. You can see the questions, but you can't see the answers. Is that correct? I can see the question. Oh, you can't see the narrative. That's right. You can't. Okay. I don't know what in the world is happening with that. I've been tweaking with it. Give me tonight to work on it to see if there's something I... I mean, it's not on any other quiz, that problem, but on that one, the problem is on quiz six, you can see the questions and the answers, but you can't see the story, the, the setup of it. And I don't know why that's doing that. Canvas, as I said, Canvas is an abomination hated by God. And I've got the authority to say that too. He, he, he said it himself, God, I hate this. You know, he was saying, me, I hate this. Well, anyway, I, I, it's awful. I, Anyway, enough of my bitching about that. Okay, you've got your quantitative questions. These are going to be high val. They're going to have high points on them because I am assuming that you can hit them good and hard and get the right answers. Builds up your score for the exam. Oh, mother's work is never done. Let me get out of this now and get back to the fun. Didn't want to do what I just did there. Leave student view. Courses. All courses. Bear with me. Okay. I'm going to give you a a series of you should know. Follow this for a study guide. You should know the relationship between price and yield on a bond. Again, you should know the relationship between price and yield of a bond. You should know the relationship between net present value and internal rate of return. Again, you should know the relationship between net present value and internal rate of return. <coughs> In other words, the internal rate of return is the, net pre is the discount rate that makes the net present value zero. That's a relationship. The internal rate of return is the discount rate that makes the net present value zero. So in other words, any discount rate below the internal rate of return, if you use any discount rate below the internal rate of return, the NPV is positive. If you use any discount rate above the internal rate of return, the net present value will be negative because the internal rate of return is the discount rate where NPV switches from negative from positive to negative. You should know about financial intermediation. Let 
Remember the three parts of it. Financial intermediation. Remember the three parts of it. <coughs> you should know who has residual claim and who has prior claim to cash flows in a corporation. Who has residual claim? Who has prior claim to cash flows in a corporation? Now, component costs of capital. You have the after-tax cost of debt. You have the cost of internally generated, I'm sorry, the cost of preferred stock. The cost of retained earnings, which is also called the cost of internally generated equity. And you have the cost of new equity. You should know the order of their costliness. In other words, which is the cheapest component? Which is the most expensive component? You'd, you will not need to use the formulas. Excel will do that for you. But you need to know what the formulas are. Again, you won't need to use them if you know how to use Excel. But you should know what the formulas are. In other words, that would be a great idea for something to put on your note cards. Remember, you get two 4x6 note cards front and back. You should know the relationship between risk and return. Know exactly the, the definitional relationship. The same is true for liquidity. Know the definition I gave you. Not one from the internet. You should know what happens if a company cannot meet a debt obligation. Again, you should know what happens when a company, corporation, cannot meet a debt obligation. In other words, you should know what happens when a corporation defaults. I'm going to have to sit up here. Okay. Okay, now, this is where chapter 11 and chapter 7 come in of the bankruptcy code. Which one is the worst? And all that.
we should I brought up a couple of things about know the difference between money and capital. Spot and forward, primary and secondary markets. Another one that I just brought up in one of the very recent lectures, the different monetary aggregates. M0, M1, M2, M3. Yes. You should know the monetary aggregates. I, I showed you M0, cash and currency, M, M1, M2, M3. Since I'm on the Federal Reserve, make sure you know how many governors there are, how many districts, who does what, regulation and supervision, that kind of stuff. Make sure you, in that same regard, the uh, three different roles of, of the Federal Reserve. It regulates and supervises. It's a bank for banks, and it conducts monetary policy. I see that a lot of you watch that video, and that is a pretty easy way to get to learn the material. I may ask you a pretty basic question about open market operations. The Fed wants to drain liquidity. Which of these would happen? Won't be a deeply complex question, but it covers the, it'll cover the OMOs. I said this before, you should be able to do a, a cap M, a capital asset pricing model. I won't tell you use the cap M. I'll just give you information and you'll say, oh, that's cap M. If I say the risk-free rate is, the beta is, the expected return to the market portfolio is, you say, oh, that's cap M. So make sure you know that formula. You have it written down. In that same regard, know what the what I mean by the market premium over risk free. As far as interest rates go, speaking of interest rates, what are the parts of the risk free rate? What are the parts of the risk premium? Uh, 
on one of the quizzes, I described a debt instrument and said which one, which of the which of the risk uh, risk premia would be significant, which would be not there, that kind of thing. Just make sure you know the an interest rate is a risk-free rate plus the risk premium, which is the default premium, the maturity premium, and the illiquidity premium. I'm not going to ask you to find a total uh, full free cash flow. I may ask you, as I did before, to find me a change in net operating working capital. Current assets minus current liabilities for the current period, current assets minus current liabilities for the previous period, and then you take the current minus the previous. And in that same regard, I can ask you a question. Okay, accounts payable have increased over the last period. Did that increase free cash flow or decrease free cash flow? Again, accounts payable have increased since the last period. Will that increase free cash flow, not change free cash flow, or will it decrease free cash flow? The answer to that one is that it will increase free cash flow. You're slowing down your paying of bills. You're, you're not paying your bills as fast. So that's going to help your cash position. Mm, mm. A few market questions. Obviously, I'll ask you about... Um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking out here. Uh. Dementia is setting in. Oh, about stock markets and bond markets. And things like, okay, the Russell 2000, is that a stock exchange? Well, no, because it's got a number after it. That's just a hypothetical portfolio. But if I said the American exchange, stock exchange, well, guess what? That's an exchange. The Amex is an exchange. The Philly is an exchange. The uh, New York NYSE is an exchange. The NASDAQ is an exchange. But the S&P 500, the Dow 30, the Russell 2000, the Wiltshire 500, and hundreds and hundreds of others, if they have a number after them, then you know it's a portfolio, and that number is how many stocks are in it. No systematic versus non-systematic risk. Systematic risk is diversifiable. Non-systematic risk is... Oh, I'm sorry. Systematic risk is non-diversifiable. Non-systematic risk is diversifiable. Kind of, kind of opposites there. And the systematic plus the non-systematic is the total risk.
So a very well diversified portfolio would have no non-systematic risk because it's uh, the diversifiable risk has been eliminated. Make sure you know that you don't want stocks in the same portfolio that are highly correlated because they're not going to cancel out each other's diversifiable risk very well. And on that, uh, beta, I, I should, before I get too far off, beta is a measure of non, of systematic risk. Make sure you know the, exactly what beta is. And also what sigma is. Sigma is a measure of total risk. Beta is a measure of part of that risk, the part that cannot be removed through portfolio diversification. <sighs> Jumping around a little bit here, just to make sure I get, I'm comprehensive. I did one where I was seeing if you know the difference between a bill, a note, and a bond, and who is the issuer, the writer, and who is the lender, the investor. You borrow $10,000 on a six-year car loan. 10000 yeah. Uh, it's a note. You're the issuer. The bank that lends you the money is the investor in you. They are, their investment price is what they lend you. I gave one of those on a previous uh, assessment. Same type. Know the difference between accounting and finance. Especially in terms of costs. In, in finance, we don't care about sunk costs, costs you've already paid. So in other words, book value of an asset means nothing to us. What matters would be the replacement cost. What we do care, and we don't care about historical costs in general. We do care, care about replacement cost, opportunity cost, hidden, hidden costs, in, a, in summary, we care about future expected costs. Make sure you know that. I will ask it. So that there is no doubt at all that finance is not accounting. We're completely separate disciplines. Finance is part of economics. Accounting is part of, I don't know, math or something. Now, I just, I, 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 let me 
fill in just a few blanks on that, the Federal Reserve lecture. Make sure you know the difference between the discount rate and the federal funds rate. How many people are on the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee? Basic numbers kinds of questions, memory, memorization kinds of things. How many districts are there? Those kinds of things. Now, I will not have you calculate a NOPAT or a free cash flow, but I could ask you about NOPAT. What is in NOPAT? What is not in NOPAT? What the formula is for free cash flow. You could very likely see a question where which of these is correct to calculate free cash flow. I'll give you four formulas and you need to know which one is the right one. I'll change the pluses and the minuses and things like that from one to the next. I've already mentioned bill, uh, bills, notes, bonds, a little more about those. What's a debenture? What's, uh, what's the opposite of a debenture? Something like that. What's commercial paper? Is that a bill, a note, or a bond? One thing, again, I can't emphasize, go through those quizzes because I am notorious for copying and pasting. The same is true for the midterm exam. If it's an objective and I, it was in the first part of the course, well it's, well, it's an objective that I need to test at the end of the course. So you will see very questions that are almost the same, maybe a few words different, or they're identical with just the answers jumbled. Other terms like weighted average cost of capital, what is the optimal capital structure? I always ask things about like that. 10K, 10Q, 8K. Flight to quality. You notice that I'm looking at the exam right now and saying these. Probably means that they're kind of important. Got a question for me? What was the last thing about 10K? The 10, no, what's the 10K? What's the 10Q? What's a 10K? Or well, what's an 8K? Got any questions? I told you when I'll be in my office. I'll see you. <laughs>